a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Some genre-related news before today's discussion. Black Lightning on The CW aired its season 3 finale last month, and the creators of the character were shown a little love. Tony Isabella and Trevor Von Eden appeared in cameo roles. Kudos to The CW and DC Comics for the recognition of the hard-working talent that produced the property as work for hire back in 1977. More pandemic casualties were announced this week as Ghostbusters Afterlife and Morbius push back their premiere dates to next year. Both films will not see their theatrical releases until March 2021. It's looking more and more as if the blockbuster season, which stretches from May through August, will be canceled this year amidst venue closures and production delays. Summer movie season typically brings the highest revenue for movie theaters. Other delays announced this week are Minions, The Rise of Gru, and the movie adaptation of the Broadway play Wicked, as well as Top Gun Maverick. And it was reported this week that Diamond Comics Distributors has suspended payments to its vendors as a result of cash flow problems due to the impact of the coronavirus on the chain of supply. Diamond finds itself in a difficult position as they are no longer receiving regular payments from their customers, the comic specialty retailers. Diamond announced last week that they were suspending shipping of new comics to their customers amidst concerns surrounding the coronavirus pandemic. And today on the radio show, we're taping from a remote location as the WERA studio remains closed. The pandemic continues to impact every aspect of American life as countless individuals find themselves compelled to self-isolate in an effort to slow the spread of the virus. But we're introverts, right? This is an opportunity for us to reread our vast comics collections and rediscover some of those comics that we might not have checked out in a while. So we're talking about comics we love that are from publishers other than Marvel and DC. And joining me today for this episode, uh, I have the always wonderful, and particularly wonderful today because she's helping me out technically, Shireen Nicole. In fact, it's been a little while since we've had Shireen on the show, so uh, welcome, Shireen. Bonjour, ça va? Ah, I don't speak. Tell you what I tell my daughter all the time. Sweetie, I don't speak French. (laughs) Uh, Also, uh, the redoubtable Drew Bittner. Hello. Yes. And back after an extended hiatus to thrill our listeners, we have none other than Brian Lyle. Uh, Come Benoit, everyone. (laughs) Was that that French? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, there you go. I don't speak that either. (laughs) Anyway, our discussion topic for today, uh, since we have been talking a lot about movies and television, 
the foundation of this particular show and the fandom itself, as always, comic books. And I thought this was going to be a nice opportunity since many of us during this extended quarantine period have been delving into our collections and because, hey, let's face it, we're all um, introverts anyway. <laughs> but uh, although I, I find I have dual introvert, extrovert tendencies, um, but, uh, but we've all been delving into our collections and probably rediscovering some of the things that uh, we haven't read in a while. So I thought this would be a nice opportunity to talk a little bit about those comic books, characters, companies that are not the big two. Oh, and I should say that for purposes of this discussion, uh, Vertigo, I am not counting as DC. <laughs> so just so you know, <laughs> we're going to pretend... Vertigo is dead, damn it. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, Vertigo and uh, Milestone uh, also. So anyway, uh, just FYI. But before we get into it, uh, there was something that was uh, reported earlier this week, and I thought it deserved at least a uh, passing mention, but uh, it was uh, reported widely that apparently Diamond Comics Distributors, the semi-benevolent monopoly that is responsible for the distribution of comic, all the comic books to the specialty stores in the United Kingdom and the United States, uh, has halted payment to vendors. And, um, you know, they have cited cash flow difficulties due to the coronavirus's impact on the supply chain. Uh, but Stan Heidman, the president of um, Diamond's parent company, Jeppy Family Enterprises, uh, has said that um, since they're no longer receiving consistent payments from their customers, they're going to hold payments to vendors previously scheduled to release this week, and they're working on uh, trying to figure out how to get around this. But um, I was just curious as to uh, what you all, my knowledgeable panelists, felt about what this says about the overall health of the comics distribution industry. Drew, why don't you start? Wow. Um, okay. Well, frankly, this is nothing good. Um, when one company is a monopoly and has the power to make or break publishing and specialty stores and so on, not to mention decide what gets in the catalog and what doesn't, um, that's a problem. I mean, you know, there's a reason why in this country we've, we've actually actively broken up monopolies over the years. And the fact that Diamond has essentially this kind of hold on our, our preferred mediums lifeblood is um it's it's really hard i mean it, it's, it's very it's very illuminating and very eye-opening um i don't think many people had quite realized it that way after you know capital comics went away and a couple of other competitors went away that left diamond being the only one game in town i think there's some some clever individuals that knew this was a danger there was a risk here and this is the situation that puts it under spotlight i mean yeah we're we're facing an issue where um, one business going out of business can take down an, an, an entire industry with it. Mm, yeah. Shireen, uh, you probably should say something so you don't fall asleep. Uh, what I'll add to what Drew said is, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, uh, off book, I had said 
because uh, I tell you, I love Steve Jeppy. I absolutely love Steve. And he did not intend to corner the distribution market. That wasn't what he started out trying to do. You know, it's just the way that things, it, things ended up. But let me tell you something. This distribution model is terrible. It's mm-hmm. absolutely horrible. I mean, I, I, I long with great nostalgia for the days when you could find comic books on the newsstand. And even though that was real sporadic in terms of being able to find the comics that you wanted, the fact that they were so widely available, I mean, and, and say what you want about comic book stores being the clubhouses and the fact that they have all these other ancillary products and, you know, all of that. I mean, that, that, that's fine. But the distribution model, the business model itself sucks. There, I've said it. Brian, well, oh, I'm sorry, Shereen. No, sure, well, Shereen, that's Shereen. Been the, well, oh, I was going to say that's been the case for publishing at large for a long time. You know, there's lots of problems with the return system, the the way that even comics uh, sales are accounted for, the way the book sales are accounted for. How does uh, how does a ebook sale, a digital sale, audio sale? How do they count? Uh, what constitutes bestsellers? I mean, just across publishing, there's some really dodgy practices. Um, mm. And as Drew said, when you get into a monopoly like a diamond, um, for better or for worse, um, it, it's the domino that takes the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Brian, you were going to add something? Um, I am in full agreement with, you know, with, Mind you, I, I look at other uh, mediums or other uh, entertainment, entertainment content that are doing the same monopolizing thing. And when one falls and it's the only one, everything else falls. Um, in, this, in my case, I watch a lot of wrestling. Uh, and with WWE, uh, its entire process, it's, it's like it's the, its own brand and everything. But its content is not that interesting, and it's hurting itself. And then when that falls, you know, any other smaller companies that are around falls with it because it's like you're the main product. We're the ones seeing you every day, every time, everywhere. And then if you fall, you're worthless. And then in this case, it's the same deal. It's it's like if you're not able to uh, benefit your 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 the people that are trying to uh, get get yourself out there, you're going to hurt your, you're hurting the entire industry, the whole infrastructure of that industry. And, it, and I, hopefully they can get out of it quickly enough once we, you know, get back to normal, as a lot of people are saying now. It's also important to pay what you owe, you know, True. like, I you, owe you don't you help. Have, yeah, you, you know, this is a very difficult time for a lot of people, a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck and or a lot of people who are in service industries, a lot of people who are in entertainment industries, their their work is contingent upon the events and the productions and the bars and the restaurants and the tours staying open. And um, comics are already a hurting business as far as for the comic book stores. They're, they are a very low margin proposition for the publishers. And so... It, it is really imperative that Diamond find a way to pay what they owe. Mm, yeah. Well, and I, I keep thinking that this is, and, and very sadly, I mean, because, of course, 
sequential storytelling isn't going anywhere. And in some form or fashion, people are going to continue making comics, sharing comics, reading comics. But I, I, I think part of what this is illustrating right now, and to very dramatic effect, is that the current distribution model is not healthy, nor is it sustainable for the long term. And I particularly don't like what this tends to bode for the future, because already, with comics essentially being primarily intellectual content, intellectual product for these television and movie productions. Like they're uh, the farms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there isn't a whole lot of incentive to, to keep all that or to keep it in its current structure. I mean, if it's going to literally be um, intellectual product, uh, you know, source material, it doesn't have to exist in its current form. You can scale that way, way back and still have Disney or Warner Brothers or Sony or whomever be able to call whatever their latest stuff for their latest properties are going to be, you know? So, um, you know, and then particularly, and I've said this before, but particularly given that even a mildly successful comic book movie is generating more revenue than the entire, the combined comics mm -hmm. industry mm -hmm. in a year, you know, yeah. I mean, and that's, and, and to say nothing of the particularly successful ones, you know, so it's, um, it, it's a sad commentary on where we are. I don't know how we get back to where we were before. I mean, you know, Brian, you said something about, uh, getting back to normal and what happens. I don't know if we ever get back to normal, quite frankly. And that's one of the things that concerns me. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today, uh, of course, practicing social distancing. <laughs> I'm joined today by Shireen Nicole, Drew Bittner, and Brian Lyles, and uh, we were just talking a little bit about Diamond Comics Distributors, the semi-benevolent comics monopoly for distribution uh, that has warned of cash flow problems and halted payments to their vendors uh, earlier this week. The other thing that I thought was kind of noteworthy uh, that came out of news this week was that we've got some more movie projects that have been pushed back. And this is no joke. I mean, we've had other stuff that's been pushed back, like Black Widow, Wonder Woman, to later in the summer. This is Ghostbusters Afterlife, you know, the long-awaited, I'm going to call it Ghostbusters 3, uh, that we've, uh, you know, sequel to the original Ghostbuster movies, and Morbius uh, from Sony, you know, the, the Spider-Man villain standalone, similar to Venom. Both those have been pushed back to 2021, just off the break. Um, you know, <laughs> do we do we have any thoughts on that? Uh, what I my my thing is one my birthday movie with uh, No Time to Die with James Bond that being pushed back. I when that was first announced, I was like, great, all right, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna see, and then now we have to stay indoors, and it's like, hey, I got HBO, so I can watch any movie I want. But with these other titles that are pushed back a year, and I think with 
with that type of delay, um, mind you, for some, it, it'll be like kind of like, okay, I can, I can hold off a year, depending on how that individual feels. But for those who are, if you have something that's really money-wise, that's financially hurtful because of the promotion, um, the the whole have to reconfigure of how you know with that particular star have to have them go out and promote certain things. I remember Daniel Craig; he was promoting when even though the announcement of No Time to Die was hold back, he was still out promoting because again, time-wise, that's you know he was scheduled to do those promotions and. And if for someone to do the promotion for these other two movies or any other movies after that, you know, holding off a year, you got to sort of like, okay, you don't know if that particular star has to be doing another movie at that particular time when you're trying to announce when this movie is out. So there, again, the studios are going to be scrambling or trying to how to financially uh, promote this movies a year later. I mean, if they're able to do that, that's fine. But then again, you also have to think about the promotional part, and promotion is is a key thing when when certain movies come out, and especially these big blockbusters ones that are supposed to be, you know, ones for the summer. Mm-hmm. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt badly. Mm-hmm. Well, let's face it, summer movie season is done. <laughs> I don't <laughs> see that there is gonna be a summer movie season. But I also uh, assuming, that, I mean, when things, and I'm not gonna say when things get back to normal, but you know, when things return to a semblance of normalcy, assuming that ever happens, I think you're gonna see people with cabin fever busting out, and it'll probably be. I mean, because movie, the the movie industry, Hollywood has been really nervous about how this potentially changes uh, movie-going habits. But I think that this is going to be just the balm that is needed for Hollywood because people with cabin fever busting out, you're probably going to see the biggest movie season in the past 20 years. Everybody just so interested in getting out that they go to see pretty much anything. I don't know. Um, It's possible. And in the meantime, you know, you've got studios like Universal releasing things VOD. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of keep things rolling and also to just capitalize, I guess, or not capitalize, but to try to recoup in some way from from what is now to be kind of an, an, a kind of um, interrupted movie season. Like you said, it's very possible that you'll get people running out and getting double features because mm-hmm. because of the cabin fever. But at this point. Disney hasn't released anything direct, but they've moved up release dates to their platform. Universal has actually released some things direct, um, and they've also taken stuff out of the theater and made it direct, like, you know, The Invisible Man and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there is a shift in the paradigm that could be twofold, and we'll just have to wait and see. But as far as being embittered, the fact that I have to wait a whole nother year for Fast 9 is uh is hurtful (laughs) (laughs) and that was one of the first no but that was one of the first ones to announce that they were pushing back and somewhat somewhat startling that they elected to push back a full year Uh, and again that i I, in fact i want to say that fast and furious 9 is the very first movie that i heard release had been delayed 
Yeah, it was the first one that I heard. And then um, the emails from the publicists after that just came pouring in. It was all all that, you know, just they kept the, the emails just kept pouring. And this has been delayed. This has been delayed. This yeah. is, you know, so so it it did kick it off. And I and I get why they did that, because fast, you know, the fast films are they, they come out a certain time of year <laughs> and. And they wanted to, I guess, keep that momentum, um, not to be punny. And so um, I I completely understand what they're doing here. And I do understand what Brian's saying, that the schedules of these celebrities are going to be very different. And there may be a lot of overlap between what they're promoting or a lot of problems in just being able to access them to promote it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Drew, did you have anything you wanted to add? Absolutely. I think that I think that you guys have really identified where these studios are going and following two tracks. One is push it back and the other is release it on streaming or put it on uh, a platform like Disney Plus. I mean, we saw Frozen 2 already put onto Disney Plus way ahead of schedule. We see Onward is now already on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's a lot of things that are already pushed to, you know, pay-per-view of one sort or another. And I'm wondering how many studios will make that decision and just eat the cost of these movies, figuring it's a lost cause at this point? You know, like, will they release New Mutants on a streaming platform at this point? Because that movie's been under a That's curse. Silly. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be a relief for them to release it. If you can get mm-hmm. 20 bucks a household, that's probably better than they would have going to get in theaters. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I think so too. And I mean, it's, it's a dead, it's a dead issue in, in terms of like, even if it was a successful movie, it's not going to generate a sequel. It's not going to go anywhere. They might as well just release the thing. Um, Wonder Woman, two, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. They pushed back a year already. No, now that was just pushed back. back to. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're right. Sorry, that had been pushed back a year. In fact, yes. we had been talking about that off book too. That had been pushed back a year, and now it's been pushed back an additional two months. Sorry. Never mind. So there's so there's that too. So I mean, a lot of students studios are making the making the decision to push them back, but then. What does that mean for next summer? Because next summer and the summer after that are already planned out in terms of releases. A lot of these movies will probably not complete in time to make those release dates. So we will probably see this ripple effect of everything being pushed back at least a year from what we had been told Mm -hmm. to expect before. Like, you know, Spider-Man 3 will probably not come out next year. It will probably come out in 2022 at this point. Yeah, just for safety concerns. Yeah, because, I mean... And and frankly, a lot of the CW Berlantiverse shows are not shooting now. So they right. may not complete their seasons right now. We may not get a, a full season of a lot of the TV shows that are on unless they were shooting and finished before this happened. So so there's that, too. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly this is and it's funny because my, my mind is racing as we are having this discussion because. Uh, and it, it, bear with me here, because this is something that, and it's it, this is going to be its own separate show. But um, when the CGI effects got good enough, that they started doing these disaster movies, and you know, I, I had always kind of had in the back of my mind uh, the day the apocalypse comes, and I'm outside watching the world come to an end, and trying to figure out exactly which movie it's going to resemble, you know? Because I'm sure that's going to be my last thought. Oh, wow, this looks just like Earthquake! You know, I mean, but now, you know, trying to figure out 
which apocalyptic destruction movie it is that the actual apocalypse is going to resemble when it comes. You know? And in a similar form or fashion, uh, now that we are living in these times of pestilence, uh, you know, trying to figure out which, which pestilence movie it is that is closest to what we seem to be living in. Personally, the Ten Commandments. <laughs> We've got plagues of locusts. We've got plagues of pestilence, mm-hmm. and we've got plagues of fire, dude. Oh, good. I was actually thinking, um, uh, oh, what's that one? Uh, not outbreak. Outbreak is the one I like. Contagion. Contagion. But and that outbreak. doesn't account for the locusts and the fires. The well, Ten Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> I thank heavens I've missed the locust and the fires. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, you haven't. I mean, you weren't in the correct country, but you haven't missed them. You knew they yeah. were happening. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the Amazon <laughs> burned, and then Australia burned, and they've got mm-hmm. a plague of locusts in Africa. Well, Africa, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. That that leading up to it, yeah. There was something else <laughs> you were talking about because I, I I remember seeing something on social media where you referenced the importance of sci-fi and uh, comic book fans. And the fact that they are relatively knowledgeable about extinction level events and general crises. Yeah, we were the first ones to self-isolate because we were like, oh, I've seen this story before. (laughs) We're like, oh, I read this. Drew was like, oh, I read this book in 84. (laughs) 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 I know what's coming. That's that's what we're like. We're like, oh, yeah, this matches this story and this story. That's right, because Bradbury wrote a little bit about this. And then you read about it in a little bit when you go and read this book. and, And then, yeah, there we go. Yeah. No, and, hey, Andromeda strain, Soylent Green. I mean, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're living through a bunch of this stuff even now. I mean, and it, 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 it's unprecedented because, uh, you know, your, your outbreaks of uh, pestilence that required quarantine have always been a lot more limited. I mean, the smallpox and whooping cough. And no, because like- you, you've got the pandemic of 1918, which killed 50 million people. 500 million infected, 50 million dead. Well, were they, um, I mean, were, were, I mean, were we talking about entire countries quarantine? Pandemic. No, pandemic. Well, no, no, I understand. But the way that people responded to a pandemic 100 years ago would be different than the way we respond now. I mean, particularly in view of the fact that information, news and information didn't travel as rapidly around the globe. That's why that thing was much scarier. Think about it. We had built-in social distancing in in 1918. Yeah, yeah. We we didn't we we weren't traveling like we travel now. We weren't um in densely po- we weren't as densely populated as we are now and that thing was was cataclysmic. Right. Well, and the overall population was a lot smaller too. And that was the point that I was making because uh, you know, you I, I don't believe that it was possible to i mean again because it's all it's like sort of de facto self-isolation but you know as opposed to government sponsored self-isolation and quarantine and those areas that were quarantined by the authorities i were smaller areas you know parts of larger cities neighborhoods stuff like that and that that, that's what i was well that's because they may have responded correctly where we did not Mm. yeah well there you go All right. 
Anyway, um, <laughs> on that note, um, that musical cue <laughs> means that it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington. Uh, make it your business to find out about community media. Visit the website at WERA.FM. You can stream programming that's available via WERA. You can find out about all the wonderful things our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media, is doing in and around Arlington County. So we're going to step aside momentarily while we acknowledge the contribution of our sponsors. We're also going to promote some of the other fine WERA programming that's coming up later tonight. And Shireen and Drew and Brian and I will be right back after this. And welcome back to Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined for today's show practicing social distancing because, of course, we are convening virtually through the miracle of technology. And joined today by Shireen, Nicole, Drew Bender, and... Brian Lyles, and uh, we've been talking about uh, current events and a bunch of stuff going on, but here in the second half of the show, I would like to pivot back to what was intended as the primary topic for today's show, which is uh, given the fact that we are in the midst of this quarantine, rediscovering our comic collections and having to uh, embrace our introversion uh, I thought it would be a nice time to sort of talk about maybe some of those comic book properties that we love that are not one of the big two, either Marvel or DC. Oh, oh, I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've got something, Sharia. Yes, I have my hand raised, but I didn't know if you were done, so I'm just going to keep my hand up until you call on me. Oh, no. In fact, Sharia Nicole, please. Lead so, I shall do so. Listen. <laughs> Talking about alternative distribution methods, there is an app and website by the name of Webtoons. And on Webtoons, you can find comics that are both uh, originals that are, you know, chosen by Webtoons and, 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 in effect, published by them. You can also find originals that are being published, uh, self-published by... Uh, a number of creators um, on the on the actual side that they call originals. They have originals which are the they're published, and the self-published ones are called canvas. On the original side, there is a very very fine comic series by the name of Laura Olympus, written by Rachel Smythe. This is a retelling of the story of Persephone and Hades. And um, it, it pictures them in a, in a God world where the God world is modern and the, the human world is still in ancient Greek times. Um, the, the characters are brightly colored. The artwork is amazingly beautiful. It's like a, uh, it's like, it looks like it's been done with like gouaches and watercolors. 
Um, it is very much about social issues, the way that we interact with each other. It has themes of abuse, uh, but it also has a great deal of joy. It is very cleverly, very well written, and it takes its time to explore uh, the ways in which we react after being hurt and the ways in which two people who have been hurt find one another. And um, just really, like, just throwing confetti at, at uh, Rachel Smythe for a very, very fine comic. It is ongoing. You can either read it as it comes out with ads. The ads are just not intrusive at all, so they won't bother you. Or you can pay a few coins and you can read up to three um, issues in advance. So Lore Olympus is my recommendation. You'll find that the Jim Henson Company is now adapting that series. Excuse me, which is something I cannot wait for. Um, uh, Drew, what you got? Actually, my favorite independent comic right now is a little book from a company called Ablaze. It's Mirka Andolfo's Unsacred, and it's a it's a really cute, adorable comic. It's um, basically a love story between an angel and a demon, and it's very slice of life, matter of fact. Uh, not, not quite as heavy as Romeo and Juliet, but, uh, you know, they've, they've definitely got their ups and downs and it's just a, it's an adorable, an adorable book. Um, number five came out this past week, I think. And, um, if you see it on the shelf, you know, give it a look. It's, it's going to be collected, I'm sure really soon because issue number six would be the, the logical point to collect the book. But, um, and Dolfo actually just started another series with another independent company, that um, seems a little bit darker, a little more grim, noir type stuff. But um, Unsacred is just an awful lot of fun, so definitely give it a look. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go overseas. Um, I've been uh, a major fan of Japanese stuff and anime, manga, and this particular book I've been reading or sort of like catching up on uh, I started. I started watching it on its television show. Uh, the title, of course, original title is Detective Conan. Uh, but when it came to America, it was next case closed. And the whole premise of the story is this uh, teenage detective. He's like seventeen. Uh, Jimmy Kudo is the American version name. And uh, pretty much, he's into mystery. He's he loves it. He solves it. He's like really well known throughout the country. Um, his girlfriend, his she's <laughs> mind you, she she loves him, but then he at the same time gets annoyed because he keeps every time he sees a mystery, he goes off and and solves it and kind of like leaves her hanging half the time. And her dad, he's also a uh, a detective, a former police detective, but now he's doing the private stuff. But Jimmy, he ends up uh, him and his girlfriend Rachel. Again, the American version. Um, they go off to the amusement park, and you know they were supposed to have a nice, fun time. But eventually, Jimmy's curiosity almost gets him almost killed because he sees something very shady. He goes off, and next thing you know, he gets knocked out and gets uh, filled up with this chemical drug that shrinks him down to a second grader. And when he revives himself, he realizes he's now. He doesn't know what happened and all that stuff. Uh, Rachel sees him and sort of like, oh, okay, Who, wh where did Jimmy go? Uh, so, but now he has to change his name. 
Uh, he uses a lot of uh, the creator of Case Clothes or Detective Conan. He's a big, big mystery fan. And, of course, he's a fan of uh, Conan Arthur Doyle, uh, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. So he uses that title, uh, Detective Conan, for his uh, uh, first name. And from there, he tries to solve mysteries and all this stuff as a second grader with a little help with modern technology. And in addition to trying to solve other mysteries, he's also trying to find the mystery of the people who shrunk him down to a second grader. So um, it, right now, it's like 70 volumes, over 70 volumes. So I recommend start with one so you can see where it began. And you, you can pick and choose once you get up to at least the first 10 issues. And from there, it's, it's all fun and games. It's Ooh. a good anime series as well. Yes, tw- almost twenty years on the air. So, uh, but the manga manga keeps it keeps it the initial essence of what it was when I first saw it. I I like the stories. I like the mystery. I like to try to see if I can solve it with Jimmy and all them uh, and his crew. So it, it's it's really fun, mind you. It seemed has even though it has kids in it, it really isn't kid for kids that much unless you're like maybe a little older. So, okay. Well, that's and my I, choice. Appreci- I appreciate that disclaimer. All right. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one I'm going to throw out is actually um, a creator that uh, we have featured on the Fantastic Forum television version. But it's a book called Surian Seed. And a wonderful brother named uh, Maurice Mander, uh, who has produced this thing. He's a, um, a homeboy from New Jersey. He's actually out of South Jersey, uh, the Trenton area. And. Um, it features in Surian Seed these heroes who have uh, these various connections to historically black colleges and universities on top of that. And a very exciting uh, story. Um, uh, essentially, um, it's a genre-blending epic uh, dealing with the struggle of a new breed of heroes faced with a universe-shattering threat. It's a savage race of aliens called the Surians are hell-bent on spreading their dominance throughout the galaxy and crushing anything that stands in their path. And this new generation of rogue heroes, straight out of historically black colleges and universities, must unite to try and prevent the extinction of mankind. So the stakes are very high. And uh, I, I kudos to Maurice Mander uh, for having put this thing together. But yeah, Surian Seed, uh, you should check it out. So anyway, but Shireen. One that I enjoyed, it's a limited series. It's a book called Skyward that was on Image uh, by Joe Henderson um, as the author and illustrators Lee Garbett and Antonio Fabela. And um, it is the story about a young woman who lives in a time of zero gravity. There was an event that happened when she was very, very young that caused the world to lose all gravity. Her mother floated out into space, never to be seen again. Her father, of course, became um, agoraphobic. And it's she becomes a messenger. And um, the inciting event is that she realizes that there's a possibility that uh, gravity could return. And she goes on an adventure to learn all about these things and to keep herself from getting deaded. Because there are many um, corporations and leaders of corporations out to get her. It's a very, very good comic. A lot of fun. 
It tries to deal with what would happen to things like insects um, and bodies of water were we not to have gravity. So very cool. Continuing to cycle, I think we went to uh, Drew next. I think now's a good time to start rereading Walking Dead. Um, Walking Dead was a tremendous comic book long before it was a TV show or had spinoffs. It has it, it had had its ups and downs as a comic book. But you go back and reread, especially the first 50 issues of that of that series. It's really, really good comic book storytelling. And it really captures how uh, empty and bleak and hopeless it can be when it's really just you and the people around you versus an impossibly hostile environment, um, dangerous people, and so on. So, you know, I, I would say go back and reread Walking Dead if you're if you're in the mood to, you know, to relive uh, some some great comics. Brian, I'm going to the independent route. Uh, and I I had a great opportunity to meet these guys at uh, last year's uh, Awesome Con. Uh, it's uh, Tuskegee Airs uh, Flight of Destiny. Uh, they're created by Marcus Williams and Greg Burham. And these guys, I, I really, I was following them on Instagram um, like for a couple of years. And I really enjoyed their artwork. And, and once I, you know, once I saw that, their Tuskegee Airs book, um, Flames of Destiny is the title, I'm sorry, subtitle. Uh, but with their art, it was like really impactful. You know, they, it features uh, these young um, black kids that are sort of like, you know, keeping the tradition of the Tuskegee Airmen uh, like 80 years into the future. And they sort of like uh, reform the red tail airplanes and these like these red tail fighter jets, you know, space jets. And it kind of forms into, surprisingly enough, into a Voltron-esque uh, robot uh, when things get really tough for them. But like I said, it the artistry is really good. The storylines uh, is, is very, you know, keeps you engaged. And you know, supporting in I, I, every time I go to any comic convention, I'm looking for new titles, and especially with independent artists. And these guys like really grab me, and I got a chance to meet them. And they signed the uh, first volume edition that I bought from them. And like I said, I even commend them and say, hey, you guys putting out some really great, 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 great work. And I hope to see them again uh, whenever volume two comes out. So, uh, I, again, Tuskegee Airs is a really high recommendation for me. Okay. All right. Um, I am, uh, well, not going to go super retro uh, like um, uh, Drew did. But uh, this is uh, a book that I really enjoyed. It's also from Image, uh, Ministry of Space, and it was a uh, an alternate history miniseries. It was written by Warren Ellis and um, illustrated by uh, Chris Weston, and uh, it was all about uh, an alternate history where the United Kingdom uh, basically gets to the German rocket installations at Pinamunda ahead of the U.S. Army and the Soviets, and they bring key personnel and technology to Britain. And um, they get into space before the Americans and the Soviets. And it's a really, really interesting story. I mean, they pursue uh, development of a space plane over capsules, 
So, you know, the first man into space goes into space uh, in a uh, space plane with a pressurized cabin, and he's wearing a leather jacket as opposed to, you know, a <laughs> spacesuit. Um, but really, really entertaining uh, series. I'm not going to get uh, really into the plot because it's entirely too convoluted, but wonderfully illustrated story. Uh, also, because it's Warren Ellis, you know that uh, going to be a very uh, deep story. Uh, you know, and I will tell you that um, despite all of these technological advances and the fact that uh, it enables Great Britain to establish colonies on other planet, like on, on the moon and on Mars and Saturn probe and all this kind of thing. Um, it, it is suggested by the end of the story that uh, there is still segregation. Uh, in in Great Britain and throughout the world, and so, uh, but very entertaining story, Ministry of Space. So, uh, Shireen, cycling back around to you. On Instagram, there is an account called Cherries Art. Cherry is in the fruit, plural art, and it is run by an Emirati young per- woman. And it is just a slice of life series of comics taken from, I think she's created three different realms and or two distinct major realms. And they all have their own characteristics. And there's two sets of characters. They do not overlap. You either get stories in one of those realms or in the other. And she, they, um, some of the kids are attending like magical school and warrior school and things like that. But what I love about it most is it is hugely multicultural. It is very much slice of life, very much people being human in extraordinary circumstances, even when they have superpowers. You can start anywhere because they're not in sequential order. Drew? Um, Let's turn our attention to Valiant, which is relaunching Exo Manowar. I mean, you know, it's, it's a pretty pretty solid concept you know you got this visigoth warrior warlord character in alien living armor and um you know it's like it just it just proves a good concept will, will not stay dead so you know i'd say get out and give uh give exo a good look if you, have, if you haven't seen it lately check it out now right uh i'm gonna stay with valiant and i when they first initially came back um, I, again, I just wanted to read up and see which which kind of books were interesting for me to to really enjoy. And I picked up like the notable ones, like you said, you know, Exo Man of War and stuff. But these guys I really like was Quantum and Woody because <laughs> it those, it was it's it was so funny and it kind of reminded me like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle in a mm-hmm. sense because you know these guys it, they had that same characteristics. Uh, they're, you know, they're foster brothers and they're, you know, somehow they got themselves hooked up with, with some political espionage stuff that led them to where uh, Quantum is born by wearing this crazy suit. They have these bracelets that they can't get off and they can't separate from each other uh, as to, as far as they can get, as they can try. And the real funny part is they have a goat. I don't know where the goat came from, but hey, <laughs> hey when you have a goat, you know, being your third third wheel hey it's, it's a funny 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 book so i i recommend quantum and woody <laughs> you can't lose if you got a goat as part of the story <laughs> yeah. hey, um, i haven't mentioned even though uh, and i i kept stressing yeah yeah we're gonna allow vertigo even though it's it was a dc well excuse me a defunct now dc comics imprint 
but um, you so know, sad. yeah, yeah. I mean, and the stuff that I mean, it, really, it's legit to say that you know, Vertigo is okay because the stuff was for the most part so far from anything that you would expect from DC Comics. That I mean, I was surprised when I found out that they have, there was a connection. But the um, the miniseries that I want to tout here is one called We Three, like W-E number three. Oh, yes. Three-issue miniseries written by the great Grant Morrison and illustrated by Frank Quitely. And um, it's uh, it's a really sweet story about a doggy, a kitty, and a bunny who have been weaponized by the U.S. government. (laughs) Body armor with weapons, and they include, like, mine-laying devices and machine guns and razor claws and all kinds of stuff like that. They ultimately escape, and hilarity ensues. (laughs) That was a nice series. It really was. Yeah. From when I first saw the illustrations for this particular series, I was sold. So, uh, yes, we three. Um, Shireen. Okay, so I suspect this is the last round, so I'm having a lot of difficulty. Well, if I... you want to mention more than one, but, I mean, just don't uh, elaborate too much. Right, well, yeah, so um, I was having a hard time deciding between there's a vault comic called Submerge, which is by um, Vita Ayala and Lisa Sterl, who is Lisa Sterl's becoming one of my favorite artists right now. Um, which is very good. There's also a comic on um, that is independent, truly independent, produced by a creator by the names of, of Mars Hayward. It's called Long Exposure. It is an LGBTQ comic um, featuring boys' love and some supernatural. Very good, very fun comic. The characters remind me a little bit of the gorillas. Uh, so that's a, a great one. Um, there's a few more on Webtoon that I could uh, I could recommend. A favorite one that just ended is Messenger. That's a really good one. So there's just a lot of good stuff out there. No matter you know what your tastes are, I read a, a graphic novel produced from First Second, which is a, a publishing imprint that was done by Rainbow Rowell, who's a very popular YA writer, and Faith Aaron Hicks. It was called Pumpkin Heads, a very cute YA love story. And there were some other things I wanted to mention to you guys. Oh, Fair Lady. Oh, my gosh. Fair Lady from Image Comics was a kind of like a mystery uh, comic about this woman who was the only fair lady in in existence. The rest of them were fair men. And they were basically um, kind of minds for hire. I wouldn't say guns, but they would be called in to solve different cases and to help people out of various difficulties. Um, it was five issues uh, by Brian Shermer, Claudia Babloni, Marissa Louise, and Shari Shakamahama. Shakamahama. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Anyway, very, very good comics all. Drew, same deal, because uh, Shireen is right. <laughs> this is going to be the last round for this. We're almost out of time. Um, okay. you know, so just uh, don't elaborate too much. Because you can name more than one. No problem. Very quick hits. Um, a, a title from 2016. It was a six-issue mini released from Image called Huck by Mark Millar, Rafael Albuquerque, and Dave McKaig. Wonderful, wonderful reinterpretation of the Superman mythos. Um, it does not go where you expect it to go. Beautiful storytelling, and especially a very sweet story from a, a, a writer that you don't necessarily associate with sweet stories, uh, Mark Millar. 
Um, terrific, <laughs> terrific story. Look it up. It's on. It's on Kindle. Um, it's it's relatively cheap. I would I would advise everyone to just go take a look at it. Um, one other I'd put in a plug for is for our, our good friend Emily Witten's book, The Underfoot. Um, oh yes, hamsters, hamsters in a post-apocalyptic world after the age of man. Um, terrific story. She's got the first one out now. She's working on the second. Definitely look it up and look for it. It's called The Underfoot. And um, big plug for that book too. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, um, Brian. And same uh, direction. <laughs> same direction. <laughs> uh, pretty much, since we've kind of been going to this image theme, uh, I'll give you two classics and then one that a lot of people thought it was underground. Spawn and Witchblade. I mean, those two, just the artistry, the stories, uh, they, they, especially with Spawn, when it, when it first came out, it just, you know, Todd McFarlane wanted a new character, but he couldn't get that sort of, you know, aspiration from DC or Marvel where he was working majority of the time with Spawn. He was pretty much open and free to do whatever he want with his character and I was like hooked with that character for as long as uh, until the movie came out. Uh, with Witchblade, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with Witchblade, it was very innovative. Uh, women empowerment. I was, I was, mind you, the artistry was, was very well done. Uh, but really, the story captured, you know, really kept me going. And now uh, I found out that they, there's a new welder of the Witchblade. And I'm kind of intrigued of how that person uh, handles uh, that particular armor. And the last one is very, again, this is not for kids, uh, is the Bomb Queen. Uh, I read the Omnibus like several years ago. And this thing was hilarious. Uh, but it has a lot of adult overtones of sexual exploits and all that stuff but then again this the story the drama the the adventure the action it, it just captured me and um if you get the omnibus that it's great but it has four issues and uh for a lot of adults i think you'll be well entertained with the bomb queen and that's Ooh. it there you go all right hey um so um taking us out uh, i am gonna do a image i'm gonna do a vertigo and i'm gonna do a boom studios the image is why the last man and this is wonderful comic series by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerrera. Um, it was published in the early 2000s. It was like 2008 through like 2000, sorry, 2002 through like 2008. And uh, about literally the last man on earth. Um, in fact, it's going to be a TV series eventually, you know, once they get through all of this stuff. But why the last man? Um, my. Um, uh, image one is Invincible and uh, that was uh, really another one of these uh, takes on the Superman story except this is basically Superman's son and um, it's a Robert Kirkman uh, thing uh, they, uh, our artists were uh, Corey Walker and Ryan Otley and uh, just went in some directions that you wouldn't expect for a Superman-esque kind of story and really great stuff. That just ended up um, a few years back. Also some stuff spun out of it too. And uh, the Boom Studios one, another take on the Superman story. This is Irredeemable by Mark Wade and uh, drawn by Peter Krause and Diego Barreto. And uh, another one takes the Superman story in a direction that you would not imagine, but very compelling uh, storytelling. So uh, those are the three that I had. 
Anyway, um, that's all the time that we have for today. I want to thank my guests and you too for tuning in. Of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. Uh, you can check it out if you happen to be in the Arlington area on Comcast Channel 38 and Verizon Fios Channel, or sorry, Comcast Channel 69, Verizon Fios Channel 38, Arlington Independent Media. We're on 8 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays. Also, check out the website at fantasticforum.tv. And the show re-airs each and every Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. And check it out. If you want to, you can listen to it. You can stream it. You can go to the website. You can do whatever in the heck you want, but make sure that you come back next week. Same bat time, same bat station.